I think the summary of the psalm is, is this, that God blesses His people so that others may enter into the same blessings and all might find their joy in God. I believe that is what the psalmist is saying, and I believe this is affirmed and confirmed throughout Scripture. God blesses His people. If you belong to God, that is good news. I hope in your heart you look to God for His help. I hope you recognize when God blesses you. I hope that you don't see some things in your life as being from God, but other things just being something that you have created or earned or worked for. I hope that you see everything as God's blessing upon you. But I also hope that you know that God has blessed you for a purpose. A specific purpose. It is not just for you to live a good life. He blesses His people so that we may live in such a way that other people get to enter into that same blessing. And And when we're all together, that is when we truly experience joy. We talked about this early last year when we did our community series. That there is a part of your joy that is only only experienced when you're among the people of God. That the joy of your salvation is fulfilled in community. And so as you personally take what God has blessed you with and you share with others in hopes that they come into the kingdom and receive those blessings, when that person enters in to the presence and the family of God and you see that, it will increase your own joy. Not out of pride of, look what I did, but out of, God, thank you for using me. Thank you for blessing me that I can serve in a way that others get to experience you. In what is, I would consider, the the lesser example in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12, we see this with a man named Abram. The Bible tells us God chose him. Our first introduction to Abram is just that. God chose him. There was nothing in him, nothing he had done, nothing that made him stand out. God looked upon all the peoples, and he chose Abram. And he said, I am going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to take you, and and from you and your family, I'm going to form a new people, a new nation, and through that nation, through that people, which would be Israel, I am going to bless all the world. And so we see from the very beginning, Genesis 12, that's God's plan. Here's my people, I will bless them, and then I'm going to bless all of the world, all the nations through my people. And then the greater example, the greatest example, the fulfillment of what God was doing in Abraham's life in Genesis 12 is Jesus. Jesus chose His disciples. 
He chose His apostles. And again, there was no reason. And those people that He brought together, He chose them. He even told them that. Like, I've put this call out to a lot of people, but don't think that you chose me. I chose you. And from those apostles, He launched, formed, founded His church. We are the church who are in Christ. And God blesses His church, His people, the greater Israel. And He blesses us that we might share His blessings, specifically the gospel of Jesus, and that many people might become part of the family of God through us. That's the picture. That's the summary. That's what we're going to unfold this morning for a few minutes. But if I could say anything to you, at the beginning of a new year, the first Lord's Day gathering of this new year, if you have stopped and, and taken time to think about your life and what you hope happens in the next 12 months, goals that you have, what you want to accomplish or what you hope happens, or if you've not taken any time for that exercise, if this is really just kind of moving into the new calendar and it's not really something that you stop and pause and think about, whichever camp you are in, I implore you, church, ask yourselves, what am I going to do differently this year to abide more with Christ and what am I going to do differently this year to make Him known? Wrestle with that before you wrestle with any questions about career or money or accomplishments and education, friendships, vacations, whatever it is that is on your mind for this new year, set those things aside and ask yourself, what am I going to do differently today, tomorrow, to abide closer with Jesus than I ever have before? And what am I going to do differently to make Him known? Because if you're the church, that's your mission. If you belong to Him, that's your call. Abide with Jesus and make Him known. And it won't happen without a plan. It won't happen without you being intentional about putting yourself in His presence. I want you to see something in Psalm 67 that I think is very interesting and it stood out to me this week and it kind of has formed a big basis for the sermon this morning. you got the first five verses that I think we just summarized. God blesses His people so that others may enter into those same blessings. And then all of us together, we find our joy in God. But look at verse 7. Verse 7 is basically a retelling at the end of the psalm of the same thing. It's a summary of the summary, if you will. It's just a, a restatement. But look at how he says it. God shall bless us. Who's us? His people. So that the ends of the earth fear Him. Now in the first few verses, the way the psalmist states it is God will bless His people, make His face to shine upon us, 
so that we can make His ways known on the earth, and then His saving power will go to the nations, and all the peoples will praise Him, and the nations will be glad and sing for joy, because the people of God are making God known. So the nations are entering into the blessings of God through His people. But in verse 7, the way he puts it, puts it is God will bless us so that the ends of the earth fear Him. And my statement to you this morning is that for the psalmist here, entering into the blessings of God and entering into the fear of God is the same thing. And I think it's not just here in the psalm that we see that. I think it's throughout the Bible that we see that. So in your notes, a principle that I, I believe is clear here, but also clear throughout the Bible. The fear of the Lord is the door, the doorway that leads into abundant life with the Lord. The fear of the Lord it's the door, it's the pathway, it's the starting point that will lead you to abundant life with the Lord. We talked about this a lot when we went through the Proverbs series. God blesses His people so that we might make Him known and other people would enter into those blessings. God blesses His people so that we might make Him known and other people might fear Him. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of a wise life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of an abundant life. We don't, I think, always know what to do with that statement. I don't think we know what to do with it in the church. And I don't think we always know how to present it outside of the church. Because a lot of our evangelism is centered on trying to convince people you don't have to be afraid of God. He loves you. Which is true. He does love us. But the pathway, the entry point into experiencing the love of God is to first fear Him. I think one of the reasons that we have a hard time with this is because the way that we know fear in the world is that men, mankind, the nations, they use fear as a tool to bring people under their control. People use fear as a way of bringing people under control that they would not otherwise have. They use fear to bring people under their control to wield power over them and to manipulate them into what they want them to do. So, if you have had any experience over time working in maybe a large company or maybe a small company, you may have ran into an authority, a boss, whose primary motivation was fear. Fear of job loss, fear of not getting a raise, fear of things not going well if you didn't do things exactly the way they wanted it to be done. Yes, intimidation. You have seen political 
forces do this. You've seen dictators and governors and presidents and kings use fear as a tactic to subdue their people. You've experienced it perhaps. I don't know if you have, but maybe you have or maybe you have known people that were in relationships where someone in the relationship used fear to try and get out of that relationship, that other person, what they wanted. And so we understand how men use fear to bring people under their control, to take power, to manipulate them. And so when our idea of fearing an authority is based on what we see in the world, obviously we don't think that is a good thing. Because it's not. We look at that and we say, well, that's not loving. That is evil. That is wrong. And so then when someone comes along or you read the Scriptures and it says, fear the Lord, if we put ourselves into that same mindset that we know of how earthly leaders and earthly people use fear, then our immediate reaction is, well, that's not right. How can God be loving if we are told to fear Him. And so my statement to you this morning is, when it comes to God, fear is not a tool that He uses to gain something that He would not otherwise have. Because God is in control. God has all power. Everything in creation is subject to Him. He is not using fear to gain something that he wouldn't have otherwise because he already has it. He is the creator of all things. He is the sustainer of all things. And one day, he will judge all things. That is reality. The fear of the Lord is not for God's gain. It's for our gain. To fear God is to put us into an understanding of the reality that exists. That we are His creation. That He is sustaining our life right now. Every person on this earth, whether they woke up this morning and thanked God for their life, or they shake their fist at God and even deny His existence, every person on this earth is breathing in and out because God is sustaining them. And one day, every person will stand before God in judgment. The fear of the Lord brings us into that understanding. It brings us into reality. It brings us into the reality of Creator and creation. It brings us into the reality that None of us in this creation has, have lived up to God's good standards and good order. It brings us to a place of understanding that we are not in line with Him. Without the fear of the Lord, you might have a gospel that is simply about come to God and take your good life and He'll make it better. Because He loves you. And He does love us. 
But the gospel is not simply come to God and take your good life and it'll become a better life. The gospel is no matter how good your life may be right now, you are headed to a moment of judgment. And you will stand before God and you will give an account for your life. And your life will be found to not be in order with Him. And that moment is coming. And what happens in that moment depends on how you respond to Him now. He loves you. Run to Him. Without the fear of the Lord, we have a watered-down gospel. In your notes, I have a little quote here. It's an adaptation from a couple of sources. The fear of the Lord does not ultimately does not ultimately lead us to terror and dread. But the fear of the Lord leads us to an awe-filled heart and a piety toward God. The fear of the Lord is a moral mindset that recognizes, I'm not God, and I don't get to make up my own definitions of good and evil. I must humble myself before God, and I must embrace His definitions of good and evil. To not have the fear of the Lord will lead you either to simply live life apart from Him or to try and remake Him in the image you want Him to have. To not have the fear of the Lord is that wrestling we talked about, I think might have been Christmas Eve, but of wanting to be our own God wanting to judge God based on our standards. The fear of the Lord brings us, when we have it, to a place of saying, I'm not God. I don't get to make the rules. I don't get to say what is right, what is wrong, what is fair, what is unfair. That is for you to do. You are the Creator. This is your kingdom and I live in it. The fear of the Lord brings us to a place of humility. And without humility, we cannot be saved. Without humbling ourselves before God, we cannot be saved. The Bible paints two camps, the unrighteous and the righteous. And of the unrighteous, the Bible says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Romans chapter 3. Therefore, because they don't fear God, Jeremiah 44 says they do not seek Him and they do not humble themselves before Him. If our message is only God is benevolent and you are His child and He loves you, that's an encouraging hallmark card. Thank you. God, and I will gladly receive all the blessings that you want to give me. And Jesus said in the parable of the soils that when the gospel goes out to people like a seed, that there are some that it, it falls and, and something begins to pop up. A little, little plant begins to grow. But then Jesus says that there's going to come a moment where the sun is going to come out. And he defines the sun as persecution on behalf of the Word of God. 
And he says when that happens, that plant's actually going to wither because there was no real root in them. People will receive a message. God loves you and has a great plan for your life. And again, it's true. But we cannot separate that from the message that God is the just judge of the world. And He deserves our obedience. He deserves us to follow His commands. And we have fallen short. So be humble before Him and He will forgive you because He loves you and has a great plan for your life. The righteous are those who fear God. They humble themselves. Psalm 51.17 says that God will not reject, He will not despise a contrite heart. The person who experiences the fear of the Lord and comes before God and says, I have fallen short. I need forgiveness. God will never reject that person. God will pull them in and He will save them and forgive them. And Proverbs 22.4 goes further to say, He will reward the humble who fear the Lord with riches and honor and life. Not only does He not despise that person who asks for forgiveness, He draws them in and then He rewards them. Riches and honor in life. And whether they taste riches and honor in this life or not, in the life to come, the eternal life, the people of God that humbled themselves on this earth will experience riches and honor for all of eternity. So, I want to go back to Psalm 67 with that in mind, and I want, to, I want you to see this pattern that unfolds in Psalm 67. And it is the pattern that's throughout the Scripture, and it is promised to those who fear the Lord. To those who have a fear of God before their eyes and who humble themselves out of that fear. And in your notes, you've got these little three blanks with these arrows. And the first one is blessing. Those who fear the Lord receive the blessing of God. And the second blank there in the middle, those who have received the blessing of God, they change. They're transformed. If you want to write transformation above that. Those who fear the Lord receive the blessing of the Lord and they experience change, transformation. And this results, the last blank there, this results in fruitfulness. They live a fruitful life. This is the pattern that we see throughout the Bible, but we see it in Psalm 67. Those who fear the Lord, they receive His blessing, they receive transformation, change, and they live a fruitful life. So go to Psalm 67 for a moment, and let's look at these. What does it mean to be blessed by God? In your notes, the blessing. Those who fear the Lord receive the blessing of the Lord. What is it? God shines His light on you and keeps all His promises to you. It's the blessing of the Lord. He shines His light on you and He will keep all His promises to you. Look at verse 1. The opening of the psalm. May God be gracious to us His people. 
May He bless us and may He make His face shine upon us. You could pray that over your family every day. Pray that over your spouse. Pray that over your kids. Pray that over the church. God, may You be gracious to us. The grace of the Lord, His kindness that is undeserved. The grace of God. His unmerited kindness. God, I know that I'm not going to earn Your kindness today. But God, may I have it. God, I know that I have done nothing to deserve Your grace. May I be filled with it. May God be gracious to us and bless us. God, I want to receive from You all the blessings that You have for me. I want to receive all the promises, God, and make His face to shine upon us. That God turns His face to His people. And the light of His face shines on His people and we have His favor. Whether we're mistreated, misunderstood, misjudged, the favor of the Lord is on His people. When other people criticize us, harm us, judge us, make fun of us, the favor of the Lord is on His people. We have to choose. We will live in the fear of man. I don't want to be judged. I don't want to be ridiculed. I'm going to just kind of go with the flow. Go with the culture. Be quiet about my faith. Or we're going to live in the fear of the Lord. I'm not going to be ashamed of the Gospel. I'm going to do all I can in the power of Christ to obey Him. And it may bring judgment. It may bring criticism. It may bring ridicule. But I know the favor of the Lord is upon me. And I would rather have the favor of the Lord than the favor of man if I have to pick. I just want to take a moment and read to you some of the promises in the Bible for those who fear God. For those who fear God, Psalm 33 says, He will watch over them. For those who fear God, Psalm 34 says, He will encamp around them. For those who fear God, Deuteronomy 3 says, He will fight for them. For those who fear God, 2 Kings 17 says, He will deliver them. For those who fear God, Psalm 34 says, they will have no lack. For those who fear God, Psalm 103 says, He will show them compassion. For those who fear God, Psalm 25 says, He will instruct them. For those who fear God, Psalm 111 says He will give them wisdom. For those who fear God, Psalm 103 says He will love them always. For those who fear God, Psalm 147 says He will delight in them. For those who fear God, Psalm 25 says He will give them His friendship. For those who fear God, Proverbs 10 says, He will prolong their life. When you fear God, every promise is yours.
That's the blessing that comes. And that blessing, all that God is doing, leads to change. It leads to transformation. In your notes, I put in parentheses, change by Him, because I don't want you to think that, okay, now that I'm blessed by the Lord, now I need to change. It's, just, it's true, but it's not change in your own power. It's changed in the power of what He's doing in your life. That change is you become His light. The light that He shines upon you, you become that light. You begin to shine that light to others. So look at verse 2 in Psalm 67. Verse 1 says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. Then look at verse 2. So that God's ways may be known on the earth. God is blessing His people with all these promises. God is doing this work so that His ways may be known on the earth. How is God blessing His people going to make His ways known on the earth? Because as He's blessing us, we make Him known. God is shaping our character. The fruit of the Spirit listed in the New Testament. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's fruit of the Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit in your life. Go and read that. That is the character change. Uh, I, was, I was looking something up this week and came across an old sermon. 2013, 2014, something like that. Oh, Kevin gave a shout out to me on Facebook 10 years ago. And that's what, that's what made me find it. And the little statement that was made was, before you wrestle with what God wants you to do, wrestle with who God wants you to be. I was like, oh, that'll preach. I'll use that again. I could have stole it from someone. I don't know. God changes your character. How do you make Him known? Abide with Christ and live like Christ with the character that He is working in you. You're going to make Him known in your family. You're going to make Him known at your job. You're going to make Him known in your community, in your church, in your circles by being who He's making you to be. People will recognize God is working in you. How, how is it that you... How is it that you... show so much patience to someone who's treating you so badly? How is it... You, possibly talk about forgiving that person when all they've done to you? How is it that you would take your hard-earned resources and give it to that person on the street that asks you for help? Those questions will come. People will see those things because God's working in you. He changes your character, which changes your actions. You begin to obey Him. You lay things down that you used to pick up. You pick things up that you used to lay down. Because He's changing you, people will see that. They will see that you act differently, think differently. Not because you are doing this for yourself, but because Christ is working in you. Because the blessings of, the God, of God are changing you, and they will see you serving. What did Jesus say? I did not come to be served 
but to serve. If we are being the people of God, we will be here not to be served, but to serve. And as we serve people, they will wonder why. They will wonder why we would give up our time, our resources, our money, our energy to serve them or to serve others. And the answer will be clear because we are becoming the light of God. We are becoming the hands and feet of Jesus. The Spirit of God is in us. We, he has blessed me. He has given me life. He has given me time. He has given all these things to my hands. Yes, I'm going to make Him known. Yes, He is doing something in my heart and people are going to see that. Blessing will always follow, excuse me, change will always follow the blessing and then fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is that as God light, as you become the light of God, fruitfulness is God's light shines upon others through you. That light that you are shining, that light that you are becoming, it will shine on others through you. You are God's plan to save the world. You're not the one doing the saving, but you are the light of God to make Him known that others will be saved. You, we can sit down and ignore it, We can get occupied with other things. But it's still our mission. It's just one we're ignoring. We are the plan. The Spirit of God in us. God shining His light on others. The light He has placed in us. It means sometimes we're going to be put in situations we don't want to be in. We're going to be put around people we don't want to be around. And we're going to say, God, why, why, why won't you get me out of this place? Why won't you move me? And in His grace, keep praying that. That He will at the right time. But the reason He is delaying might be because you are the plan He has to do something significant in someone's life spiritually. Look at verse 3. Go back to verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine upon us that Your ways may be known on the earth, Your saving power among all the nations, that the peoples will praise You. Let all the peoples praise You. Listen. If you ever experience someone moving closer to God because of you, you will never forget that. And there should be something about it where you say, ah, oh, I want that again. What an honor. What an amazing thing that God looked on this earth and said, I'm going to put John in that person's life. Because He will shine my light to them. What an amazing honor. There is no award. There is no commendation. There is no trophy. There is no promotion that should ever, ever, ever light our, lives, our, our eyes up greater 
than the thought of being used by God to bring someone else into His kingdom. Those other things can excite us. God gives us honor on this earth, but there should be nothing that excites us more, that it gives us enthusiasm, that lights our face up than thinking, what if God used me to show Himself to this person? I want you to, if you have a Bible, look real quick at Colossians 1. I just want you to see the same pattern there. If you have a a Bible, just go over Colossians 1. If you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, we have some on the back table there. It's our gift to you. Please take it and read it, use it. When we went through Colossians, these verses stood out to me. They impacted me. They became a prayer for my life and for the church. And I mentioned it to you a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week. If I could commend to you and say, hey, if you're looking for a prayer for this new year for yourself, for your family, use this one. I just want you to see it again. And I want, to see, I want you to see how it follows this pattern. Colossians 1.9, it's from the day we have heard about you, we have not ceased to pray for you. And here's the prayer. Asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay, one, that is the blessing. That God would fill us with His knowledge. That God would fill us with His wisdom and His understanding. The fear of the Lord bringing us to a place where God, I want to, I want your knowledge. I, I want to see things as you do. I want to understand your word. God, I want to be filled with what you know about my life and the lives of others. God, I want to walk in spiritual wisdom and understanding. I don't want to live based on my experiences and based on my intelligence. God, I want to be filled with Your wisdom to receive that as a blessing. That's the blessing. And then look what it leads to. Verse 10, So, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. That's the change, right? We're filled with the blessing of God, His knowledge and His wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. We're filled with that. That's the blessing. And then here's the change. The change is we began to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We began to walk in a way that is pleasing to Him. And where does that lead us? Fruitfulness. Look at the rest of the verse. Fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. If you're going to do things for God, don't you want it to be fruitful? (laughs) If you're going to serve, don't you want it to be fruitful? Fruitfulness is not gained by us coming up with our own ideas about how to make church and the gospel work in a way that people will get. Fruitfulness comes from being filled with the knowledge of God and having His wisdom and walking in ways that please Him. The blessing, the change, the fruitfulness. And then just look at how it says, and bearing fruit in every good work. And then what happens as you're bearing fruit in every good work? Increasing in the knowledge of God. We go right back to the beginning. That's why in your notes I have the little crude arrows in the line. I don't want you to think of this pattern as a linear pattern that, okay, I'm blessed by God, then I change, then I become fruitful. One, two, three. It's a pattern. 
God blesses you so that you do what? So that you change. You change a little, what happens? You become fruitful. But you're still going. God keeps blessing you. He keeps filling you with His knowledge. He keeps giving you His promises. And what happens? You change more, and you change more, and you change more. You become more like Jesus, more like Jesus, more like Jesus. And the more you become more like Jesus, you become what? More fruitful. I've been doing this for a while now. I've been doing it here for a while now. It should be more fruitful than when I started. If... I have been abiding and changing because of the abiding. If I've been doing this for a long time and I'm no more fruitful today than, than when I started, it probably means I'm going through the motions of preaching and pastoring and I'm not actually abiding and growing. As God blesses us, we change and we bear fruit. Psalm 51, we won't go there, but it shows the same pattern. The psalmist says, cleanse me, that's the blessing. Create in me a new heart, that's the change. And then I will teach transgressors your ways and see sinners return to you. That's the fruitfulness. That's the pattern for us. So, how is this ours? I've been hinting at it and pointing at it the whole time, but I just, again, I don't want you to take it and say, okay, God has blessed me, so now let me, let me change and, and be more fruitful. And we, we have to look to Jesus. Jesus is the one who has fulfilled everything that we're talking about right now. Jesus has gone before us. We look to Him. Because, in your notes, first of all, Jesus understood the fear of the Lord. Jesus understood the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 11 says that. The Spirit of the Lord was upon Him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. It says Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? Jesus was faithful in His reverence and honor of God. Jesus humbled Himself in God's mission and even humbled Himself to God's people. Jesus did not go before God and confess His own sins because He had none. But Jesus went to a cross and, if you will, confessed our sins and died for them. He placed Himself in the sinner's path. He had a perfectly reverent, holy, fearful walk with the Lord. It ended in death. Not for His sake, for ours. Because out of His perfect life, He stepped between us and the judgment of God, and said, in my perfection, I will assume the punishment for those who have been imperfect. So in your notes, His faithfulness is what frees us from the terror of judgment. His faithfulness is what frees us from the terror of judgment. 
First John chapter 4, it's a very interesting passage. As a matter of fact, one of you sent me a question one time I covered on the podcast. It was very insightful that if the Bible tells us to fear God, why does First John chapter 4 say perfect love cast out all fear? It's a good question. I covered it somewhere in those 140 episodes if you want to go find it. But if you read 1 John 4, the fear that is being talked about is the fear that has to do with judgment. When we look to Christ and the love of Christ covers our life and fills our heart, His love being perfected in us, cast out of us, not the fear of the Lord, but the fear of the judgment of the Lord. Why? Because Jesus has already assumed that judgment on our behalf. Jesus was faithful to God to the point that in the garden, as He was getting ready to pick up the cup of God's wrath and drink it, He said, God, if there's any way, any other way, that these people can be saved without me drinking this cup, please do that. But if not, your will be done. He was faithful to death. The light of the face of God shines on His people because God turned His face from His Son on the cross. His faithfulness frees us from the terror of judgment. Jesus is the blessing from God that gives us change and fruitfulness. He is the blessing. All the promises of God are ours in Christ. All these promises that God gave to us, that He'll watch over us and encamp around us and fight for us and deliver us, and we will not need anything. He will show us His compassion. He will instruct us. He will give us wisdom. He will love us. He will delight in us. He will give us His friendship. He will prolong our life even to eternity. Those promises are yours in Jesus alone. So, fear God. You can't be saved without it. Know that your life is in disorder and doesn't line up with God's perfect order. But let that fear not lead you to terror and dread. Let the fear of the Lord lead you to the Lord. Humble yourself before Him. Ask for the forgiveness of your sins and believe with all of your heart that because of what Christ did, the answer is absolutely yes, I will forgive you. And then embrace abiding with Christ and ask Him to change you and let you become the light of God that shines on others so that they can experience being a child of God the way you have. Church, how or what are you going to do this year to abide with Christ more? Lay that before the Lord and ask for His help and do it. How or what are you going to do to make Him known. Lay that before Him. Ask Him to help you and do it because it is our mission 